0: Deep inside every one of us is a lion waiting to be unleashed. Are you ready to be unleashed into your destiny? As we stand on the edge of time, the web of deception is being unraveled. Carl Joseph offers you the red pill and the keys to unlock the shackles of your mind. Get ready to be transformed by God's supernatural power. Let's join him now.
1: Islam today claims 2.2 billion followers, which represents about a third of the Earth's population. But one thing is for certain, my friend, the God of Islam is not the God of Christianity. Now, the word Islam means surrender or submission to the will of Allah, whom they call God. The term Muslim is related to this word and means one who submits. Islam is intensely monotheistic, and the term they use for God likely came from Al-Ilah, which means the God. One of the greatest sayings in the Islamic culture is that all is as God wills it, but nothing could be further from the truth. By saying this, Muslims couch that Allah is on the side of both good and evil, and personal responsibility is largely ignored in their religion. In fact, this belief is a form of fatalism from our Christian worldview. Now, Islam is a hodgepodge of several elements of the Old Testament and Christianity combined, and the Quran discusses Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Jesus, and others as merely prophets of Allah. It claims, however, that Muhammad is the last and greatest of the prophets, and that only Islam is the true continuation of the Old Testament faith. Muhammad was a fascinating character who had dark elements to his nature by all accounts. His real name was Ubul Qasim and he was born in Mecca in 570 AD. Just to clarify, this is almost six centuries after the death of Christ, so Islam is a relatively new religion and fresh on the scene compared to many. Now, Muhammad's father died and he was raised by his grandfather and later by his uncle. He became a camel driver and went on long caravan journeys stretching from Egypt to Syria. During his travels, he saw much of the region, tribal conflict, and made many personal and business contacts. When he was 25 years old, he was employed by a wealthy Jewish widow. Now, because Muhammad had married into wealth, instead of working for a living, he began to occupy his time with meditation and reflection in search for life's true meaning. Indeed, friend, he was a lost soul in need of a savior like everyone else. Now initially, Muhammad looked to the Arabian people for answers for life's meaning, but they were polytheistic idolaters who had a pantheon of deities through shrines including one called Allah, as well as a number of angels and demons. Mecca was a religious center at the time, and Muhammad witnessed over 360 shrines and encountered a small temple known as the Kaaba. Now, the stone within the Kaaba was thought to have been given to Abraham by the archangel Gabriel, but there is no proof of this whatsoever. This Kaaba is, of course, still in existence today. When you see thousands of people chanting while they walk around this large black and white box in Mecca, know this, my friend, within its walls lies a black stone, which is essentially a meteorite. By worshipping this idol of stone, they've exchanged the worship of the Creator for the creation, as Romans chapter 1 warns us against. Muhammad then decided to rid the Arabian vicinity of all other shrines and he destroyed them, leaving one shrine, which was called Allah, whom he proclaimed to be the one true God. And this stone still resides today within the Kaaba. He then went into a cave in Mount Hira, a few miles from Mecca, and when he was 40 years old, in 610 AD, he began to receive frightening revelations accompanied by violent seizures. Friend, in Christian terms, we call this demonic possession. And even by his own admission, Muhammad wasn't even sure if these visions were of divine or demonic origin. But it was his wife who eventually convinced him to submit to these revelations, which were supposedly coming from the angel Gabriel. He was told by this supposed angel from God that he was to recite the revelations he received, and his followers would later record them after his death in the Quran, which means recitation. Muhammad spent 22 years receiving these visions until his death in 632 AD. And here is where the red flag should go off for us as believers. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 1.8. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Evidently, Muhammad was unaware of this warning from Paul, although the final book of the New Testament was written by the close of the first century AD, five centuries earlier, and there was certainly no more to be added by any angel of any kind to this canon. If an angel should appear with another gospel in any time period, it should be refuted immediately. Friend, we know that so many cults have angels involved in their inception. A true angel of God would never appear after the first century with more quote revelation unquote to add to the canon of scripture. This was not the true angel Gabriel that appeared to Muhammad, no. It was merely an impostor. If the angel Gabriel appears to you, you need to ask him for his driver's license, amen? The truth is, if an angel really did appear to you, you would have tremendous fear because whenever they appeared to people in the Bible, the first thing out of their mouth was, fear not. The fact is, false angels have been involved in the formulation of the Mormon cult, the Jehovah's Witness cult, and now the Islamic cult, as discussed in prior broadcasts. Beware, 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 my friend, of angels that bring revelations and make sure that these revelations line up with the Word of God first. Now, Muhammad exhibited nothing but contention and strife in his early years, and there were several assassination attempts made against him as he continued to vouch for his one true God, Allah. Muhammad then ransacked Medina, declaring it to be the city of the prophet. He then started a harem where there were twelve wives. For a time, he tried to win over the Jewish population of Medina, but when he was rejected by them, he prayed in the direction of Mecca instead of Jerusalem. He also persecuted the Jews because of their rejection of him. And the animosity and hatred for the Jew by Muslims began right there and then. Muhammad then built his treasury by robbing and plundering the caravans of pilgrims traveling to Mecca. This led to war with the Meccans, and his life became embroiled in warfare from that point onward. Eventually, he conquered Mecca and fulfilled his desire by tearing down all other idols and rebuilt the Kaaba with its black stone, as I mentioned earlier. He believed this remaining stone was a representation of the one true God, Allah. By doing so, Muhammad therefore instigated this ancient pilgrimage to the Kaaba, which continues to this day. As a result, Mecca became the most holy city of Islam, and by the time of his death, Muhammad was the ruler over all Arabia, having gained his power through war and plunder. So let's just recap right here. Muhammad was a thief. He built his wealth by robbing other people on the way to Mecca to worship or in the vicinity of Medina. And he would receive his revelations by demonic seizures, oftentimes foaming at the mouth when he did so. Let me ask you this, my friend. Is that the kind of person you want to be the patriarch of your religion? I don't think so. My criticism here is not levied at Muslims today, but the exploits of its founder. We need to look at the fruit of people's lives in order to verify the source of their bold claims. Now, down through the years, there were a series of successes to Muhammad, and these were called caliphs, which I don't have time to get into. But the term caliphate refers to nations that follow Islam and are better known as Islamic states. Islam continues to be a strong binding force today in the region of Arabia and enjoys its surge of power from the vast oil revenues that come from that region. In the times of Lawrence of Arabia, there was not even one oil well drilled in the Middle East, but today these countries have greatly benefited from the technology that the Western nations brought to them in the aftermath of World War II, and of course, the West benefited enormously also. Now, the Quran is the authoritative scripture of Islam. It has 114 chapters or surahs. Parts of it were written by Muhammad and the rest, based on oral teaching, was written by others after Muhammad's death. Over the years, a number of supposed additional sayings of Muhammad and his early disciples were compiled in a document called the Hadith, which means tradition. The Hadith is basically the sayings of Muhammad or the sayings that someone else heard him say, rather than his direct words. The Hadith supplements the Quran in much the same way as the Talmud supplements the Torah or law in Judaism. Now there are five main pillars or doctrines of Islam, and none of them mention saving grace, but provide a rigorous series of works. Friend, the sad fact is, no one in Islam truly knows whether they're saved or not, but they wait until a judgment day when Allah will place their works on a scale and decide their fate, hoping their good works outweigh their bad. In fact, their God, Allah, is so transcendent that He's practically unknowable, and He has done nothing for man. Islam is marked by sectarian differences between Sunni, Shiite, Sufi, and Wahhabi orders. In the majority of cases, the Sunni faction of Islam is the most militant, and the Shiite faction is arguably more peaceful, looking toward the return of the Mahadi. Islam believes God has no son. They deny the Son of God or the notion that God ever had a Son. But what does the Bible say about this? In first John chapter two verse twenty two it says, Who is a liar but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. Friend, did you know that right now, our Lord Jesus Christ is appearing to thousands of Muslims in the Middle East? There have been various sightings of Jesus in Iran, especially. He's appearing to them in dreams and visions also. There are pastors in Iran who risk their lives daily and have gone underground in churches in the region that are growing rapidly. Iran has a lot of young people and Jesus wants to save them all. Yet over here in the West, and particularly in America, a very dangerous movement has arisen calling itself Chrislam, which is supposedly a union of Christianity and Islam. This friend is an apostate movement ushered in by an ecumenical church with Pastor Rick Warren as its leader, who is the founder and pastor of Saddleback Community Church in California. By embracing this apostate union of false Christianity and Islam, Rick blasphemed our Lord, claiming him to be co-equal with the false god Allah. In 2009, Warren also addressed the convention of the Islamic Society of North America. He stated that Muslims and Christians must work together to combat stereotypes, promote peace and freedom, and solve global problems. But before he shook hands with the leaders present, he asked for forgiveness from the Muslim community for all that Christians had done. I'm all for friendly discussion and community, but not the declaration that our gods are one and the same because they are not. I'd also like to remind you today that I'm talking about the history and beliefs of the Islamic religion, not radical Islam, which I will discuss in a separate broadcast. Friend, Jesus loves the Muslim people so much that he desires them to come out of their religious bondage and to the saving grace of the gospel. We don't need to join their religion like Reverend Warren proposes, but we need to tell them the truth about Jesus as Lord and Savior. Muslims have invited me into their homes. They're very friendly people. I have no qualms with Muslims. My concern is that they've not researched their religion. Allah is not a benevolent, all-seeing and all-knowing God. But their religion, in fact, includes idolatry in the worship of one of the idols that was originally named Allah, found in the Arabian Desert by Muhammad all those years ago. Allah, my friend, is not a God who watches over them or cares for them. The best way, friend, to win over Muslims is to share the love of the Father with them and the love of the Son and to be compassionate and share the gospel and reveal the truth to them. Friend, I ask you to do your own research. Don't just accept what I have to say about it. I wish to thank also Dr. Kenneth Boer for granting me permission to use some of his source material in this broadcast today.
0: You've been listening to Carl Joseph and the Lions Unchained podcast. Carl is a minister who's witnessed God's supernatural power to save, heal, and deliver. Carl is a unique researcher who investigates current affairs, societal trends, technology, cults, and end time events all through a biblical lens. Every Monday, new podcasts are uploaded, so stay tuned for the next opportunity to roar into victory. Check out carljosephministries.com for exciting articles, teachings, and discussion points. See you next week. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button.